0: Green Teacher's main office is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinabe, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. This territory is covered by the Williams Treaty.
1: There are lots of projects that could be undertaken, once again, with minimal cost, whether that be art projects that are river-related, or essays, or poems, or even river trivia. All of those kinds of things are great learning opportunities, and it tells the true story of a five-decade-long restoration effort to revive this stream, this stream that was once so badly polluted and uh, at one time literally a dead creek. The event tries to engage people with local waterways. It tries to encourage people to learn more about them, to appreciate them, and perhaps become greater advocates for them uh, in the end.
0: Testing, testing. Hey, I'm Ian. And I'm Sophia, And welcome to Talking with Green Teachers.
2: This is the Environmental Education Podcast, where we discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode well, in
1: 2005 the united nations uh, stated their intent to launch the water for life decade uh, that was a follow up to their very successful international year of fresh water in 2003 well when i heard about the un's intention in that regard We approached them about establishing a World Rivers Day kind of event. We thought it would be a great complement to World Water Day, which occurs in March. This event would be river-related in focus. The fact that the BC event took place
2: If you take a close look at water striders, you'll notice that they skate only with their middle and hind legs. The front legs are held above the water's surface and used for snatching prey. The presence of aquatic invertebrates like water striders is indicative of the health of a stream or river. Marc Angelo has long been a champion of running water as the founder of World Rivers Day and author of the children's book, The Little Creek That Could. Mark joined Ian to discuss the threats facing rivers, how we can respond to these threats, and the many ways educators and learners can get involved in World Rivers Day.
0: Your children's book, The Little Creek That Could, is based on the premise that nature can heal itself if only we give it a chance. This is obviously an empowering and important sentiment given the challenges, the many challenges, that creeks and rivers face today. What are some of the foremost threats to these waterways?
1: Well, Ian, uh, good to be with you. And certainly uh, look forward to talking about some of these river related topics with you. Uh, Absolutely. There's no question that rivers and streams, you know, they have these great values, but they are also amongst our most threatened ecosystems. And most rivers and streams, they do face an array of threats. Things like pollution, uh, urbanization, uh, loss of riparian habitat, the excessive extraction of water. There are also often obstacles to fish passage, especially in urban environments, things like poorly designed culverts. Uh, elsewhere, dams can uh, pose you know, some real issues. So rivers and streams do face uh, an array of pressures without question.
0: And from an ecological perspective, what is some of the greatest value that these waterways have?
1: Well, our waterways matter incredibly from an ecological perspective. You know, rivers, I often say, are are literally lifelines in in the truest sense. Mm -hmm. They are the very foundation uh, of entire ecosystems and they support an incredible amount and diversity of life. Things like fish or insects, amphibians, birds, mammals. A key point is that far more life tends to live closer to rivers than away from them.
0: Right. We often hear about Troubles with oceans and plastic pollution and habitat loss, pesticide buildup, runoff of fertilizers in oceans. And I always find that when discussing oceans, a lot of people miss connecting the dots to areas upland. So upriver, upstream. No, no question. What is the ocean connection that people really need to know about?
1: Uh, There's a huge connection between the health of our rivers and the health of our oceans. For instance, you mentioned the accumulation of plastics, whether it be microplastics or larger pieces of plastic. You know, that's a big issue in oceans, but a lot of that originally stems from rivers, you know, most of the plastics you find in oceans originally came from waterways. So there is clearly that connection. And you're right, a lot of people don't appreciate it, but it's very real and very important. So healthy rivers and healthy oceans, if we are to get there, we have to make headway on both.
0: And do you ever get people asking, This all sounds important, but how does it impact me? How does it impact my community?
1: Oh, sure. You know, a lot of people will often ask me, you know, what are the benefits to humans, for instance, uh, of healthy rivers? Mm. Well, my response to that would be that our, our rivers and streams have these immense natural, cultural, recreational and economic values. You know, as a Canadian, I've always believed that rivers have had a huge influence on who we are as Canadians and how we think about things like water, the environment or or wilderness. In terms of specific benefits, uh, rivers are sources of, of water to many. But in addition to that, they provide an array of other very tangible benefits. For instance, most communities, there are lots of people that spend time walking along rivers. There are people who are out there paddling on rivers. There are people who fish along them. There are many who simply like to sit and admire their beauty. So the bottom line is that healthy rivers and streams, they make our communities better places to live and safer places to live.
0: For me, rivers and streams are opportunities for fish watching, which is a little different from fishing because it really is just putting on a mask and observing fish in their environment. Is that something you've ever gotten into is observing fish or do you go fishing? Any activities like that?
1: Oh, totally. You know, I talk about, uh, you know, the fact of the great diversity of life, you know, that lives along rivers Yeah. and yeah, with my grandkids, I'll often go to a nearby stream or river and just sit and watch. You know, we may be lucky to see an array of mammals or, or birds or, or even insects, you know, things like water striders. Our grandkids mm-hmm. have grown up loving to try and catch water striders. But even observing fish, you know, sure, I'm an active fisher, a fly fisher, but I also love just watching fish. You know, sometimes we're lucky enough to come across a pool where we'll see several trout or sometimes here on the coast in the fall, you know, when I know there are salmon spawning in a nearby river or stream, I'll go with our kids or grandkids and just sit and watch. So yeah, just to spend time along a river to see whatever you may see, just to listen to the sounds. That's a wonderful thing to do.
0: Yeah. Pure magic.
1: Pure magic. You bet.
2: Talking with Green Teachers is produced by Green Teacher, a registered charity in Canada that has been enhancing environmental education since 1986. By taking out a subscription, you can join our global network of passionate environmental educators, receive each issue of our quarterly magazine, and gain exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. All proceeds go back into the organization to support our vision of helping each successive generation of young learners become more environmentally literate than the last. To learn more, visit greenteacher.com. A little known fact about water striders is that they can dive underwater, taking advantage of a thin layer of air that gets trapped in the tiny hairs covering the insect's bodies.
0: In the book, educators, students, and community members come together to give Geishon Creek a chance. What are some creek and river restoration efforts that you recommend?
1: Well, there are lots of them, certainly more than was the case 20, 30, 40 years ago, which is good to see. Oh, for sure. But, you know, I look at uh, places like here in the coast in Victoria, Bowker Creek in Oak Bay has been a really interesting example. Thornton Creek, the restoration work that's gone on there in Seattle, which is just down the coast from us, is, is interesting. Britannia Creek is another fascinating story. Elsewhere across the country, uh, the Toronto and Region Conservation Authority has done some really good work in the, the Humber River watershed. Uh, I think of the Thames River wetland restoration work that Ducks Unlimited has done west of Hamilton near Woodstock, Ontario. Uh, the Grand River watershed has done some good restoration work. But wherever one lives in our country, we we now have streamkeeper groups volunteer groups attached to so many waterways that do really wonderful work in terms of keeping an eye out for a local stream, uh, identifying problems, working to clean it up or restore it. So wherever people live in this country, there are nearby streamkeeper groups that they can contact to learn about the good work that they're doing. And then globally, if people are interested in looking at what's unfolding in other countries, uh, I think of the incredible cleanup work that's been done on the Thames River in England over the last 30 years, or or the dam removals on the Elwha River in the state of Washington, or, or the restoration of the River Meuse in the Netherlands. There are some really good projects out there now that people can learn about and try to emulate. And, and my hope is that as time goes on, we'll see more of those.
0: And with these restoration efforts, what are some of the activities that are involved? Is it testing the water? Is it doing biodiversity surveys, picking up garbage, all of the above?
1: could be all of the above. You know, it could be picking up you know garbage that may have accumulated to a great extent over the years. It may be uh, advocating the need for the local governments or other levels of government to address pollution problems. It could mean uh, trying to restore riparian or riverside habitat through streamside plantings. Certainly monitoring creeks and streams is important as well. So it can include all of those things.
0: Bringing this over to educators, A lot of educators, they're short on time, they're short on financial resources. What advice would you give to educators who are in that kind of situation?
1: Well, I think uh, I recognize the fact that educators often face some real constraints from a budget perspective, but there's still much we can do. If you're an educator and you have an interest in the environment or or you want to expose students to to more you know to additional opportunities to learn about rivers to get involved with rivers there's a lot we can do there's certainly the potential for field trips to local creeks and streams often those are within walking distance and and those are great places to talk about things like the water cycle or or how a stream functions or some of the pressures that confront streams there's nothing better than doing that on site where you can literally point to a creek or stream There are lots of projects that could be undertaken, once again, with minimal cost, whether that be art projects that are river-related or essays or poems or even river trivia. All of those kinds of things are great learning opportunities. They could look at the potential to coordinate small-scale cleanups, They'd have to follow safety protocols and hopefully access things like tongs and gloves, but still even on a small scale, those kinds of things can be fun opportunities to undertake with young people. Perhaps there's the potential to participate in things like small scale planting projects and concert with local stream keepers. So the point I'm trying to make is there, there's lots that can be done for a teacher who might be interested in this area and it doesn't necessarily take a, a lot of money to increase awareness among students about rivers. You know, often you simply have to get creative and and look at what can be done with the resources you have available.
0: And often that's just spare parts that are hanging around maybe in a science lab or the bowels of the school where things are stored. Like if you have dip nets, even really simple dip nets, and then just things like plastic buckets, little containers, maybe syringes, eyedroppers, tweezers all things that may have been discarded and may just be collecting dust somewhere in a school or other educational setting that's kind of all you need to do a biological survey of what's in a waterway
1: oh ian you're you're so right you know even if you have a bucket and a small dip net You know, you could go to a creek and stream and, you know, and and even if you were to capture, let's say a water strider, Mm. which is often quite easy to do, you know, all in kind of the big pools, we may find catching a water strider is not a difficult thing to do, but to take a magnifying glass and to look at it uh, and just place it in a bucket with some water, but to take a magnifying glass and have students look at it and even get into a description about you know, how magical those little critters are, how they can literally skate across the surface of the water because of the, those little air pockets they accumulate at the end of the legs. The fact that they're such an effective and efficient predator when it comes to eating mosquitoes at the larval stage, you know, whatever you may find along a creek or stream, it has a wonderful story attached to it. And to point it out to students, to have a magnifying glass, to see it, Yeah, those things can be magical and very effective learning opportunities.
0: And just a note on water striders, for for those who haven't yet read The Little Creek That Could, those little insects may figure fairly prominently in the story, but I don't want to give too much away.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great.
0: Hey, it's Ian. I'm just letting you know that a subscription to Green Teacher also includes access to our massive and fast-growing archive of 500-plus ready-to-use activities lesson plans, and articles. The recording of each new webinar goes into the archive too, and there are 125 of those and counting. To save you time, everything is organized by topic and age group. Learn more by visiting greenteacher.com slash subscribe. We also have special rates available for bulk orders from your school, board, district, faculty of ed, or organization. As always, all proceeds go back into the nonprofit.
2: There are many water striders here in this gently flowing stream. As the afternoon sunlight peeks out from behind a cloud bank, small round shadows form where the legs touch the surface film.
0: Storytelling can be a very powerful tool for inspiring realistic hope, as you have done with The Little Creek That Could. And again, without giving too much away, what is the basic story of Gishon Creek?
1: Well, Gishon Creek is a, you know a stream that's, that's close to my heart, and it's featured in the, the book, The Little Creek That Could, the story of a stream that came back to life. It's an illustrated children's book, and it tells the true story of a five-decade-long restoration effort to revive this stream, The stream that was once so badly polluted and uh, at one time, literally a dead creek. And the book speaks to the fact that nature can heal itself if only given a chance, which I think is a really positive and important message for kids. And while the story focuses on a single stream, its broader message about healing the environment is hopefully one that will resonate with many, regardless of where they might live in our country.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be a creek or even a waterway. It could be a meadow. It could be an old field. It could be a forest edge. I mean, I think the overall concept of the story applies to many different ecosystems.
1: Oh, you're so right. And when you talk about healing the earth and restoring the environment, While this book focuses on a stream, you're right, it can be a a meadow or some other kind of environment that was badly degraded. And fortunately, some people or groups have come together to try and restore it and bring it back to life, to bring it back to what it once was. There's lots of good examples like that, not only pertaining to rivers and streams, but as you say, pertaining to other kinds of environments as well.
0: For sure. Taking a look at the illustrations in the book, it appears as though the main medium is watercolor. Do I have that right? Yes, that's right. So very fitting. A story about a creek is done using (laughs) watercolors. That is a good connection. You bet. Yeah, very, very fitting indeed. I'm very drawn to the images. I find they're whimsical and dreamlike. Was that a conscious choice by the illustrator, Ross Webb?
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, Roz is uh, an amazing illustrator. Uh, She does incredible work. She's actually based in Ireland. And we struck this kind of online connection. And, you know, I've been... uh, uh, enamored by her work for a long, long time, and and I always felt her illustrations, they are somewhat dreamlike, as you say, they, they have a whimsical feel to them. She's known for using these really bright watercolors. And so yeah, the use of her illustrations as part of the book was a very deliberate choice. You know, I loved uh, the bright colors that she used. I feel her illustrations portray a sense of hope and wonder. And it's a style that I thought was really appropriate, especially given the message of the book.
0: And with that sort of style that isn't strictly representational, I mean, she's not trying to replicate what you would get in a photograph. Otherwise, you could just take photos. To me, that draws the reader, the listener into a story. To sort of fill in their own blanks because not everything is exactly depicted as it is in nature so you can sort of say what else is in that tree what else is at the edge of that stream bank and it just becomes so much more engaging that way
1: i agree you know i i didn't want illustrations that were too representative Mm -hmm. and i do think for the very reasons you mentioned that her illustrations tend to engage people they draw them into the story they kind of capture the imagination. They they hopefully inspire, you know, the imagination of the reader a little bit more. So uh, I, I've been thrilled with her illustration. She's a wonderful person and once again she does great work.
0: She does indeed hi there. You might recognize my voice from such podcasts as the one you're listening to right now. Speaking of podcasts, Green Teacher is involved in another one. It's called Earthy Chats and you know what, how about I let my co-host Jade harvey Barrel tell you the rest? Take it away Jade.
3: Thanks Ian. Hello all. Indeed, we'd love for you to join us for Earthy Chats our new podcast where we've come together to spend time picking the brains of the brightest and best in environmental education. Like Busy Bees, we'll be cross-pollinating ideas across our range of interests and knowledge bases to give you the inside scoop on what's new, who's doing it, and how you can do it too. All of the experts featured on the show have resources available Canada-wide in the Outdoor Learning Store. That's Canada's non-profit outdoor resource store, You can check out the range of educator and student resources available at www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. So, whether you're a teacher, educator, parent, or just a general nature geek, there'll be something for you to sink your teeth into. Did I cover everything there, Ian? Definitely. Thanks,
0: Jade. So yeah, Earthy Chats. Check it out on your favourite podcast app.
2: The clouds cover the sun and the round shadows instantly disappear. A little way downstream, you hear a gentle but sharp splashing sound.
0: So World Rivers Day, you are the founder
1: of World Rivers Day. Walk us through its history and its purpose. Oh, well, it's an event that, uh, you know, I've been very proud to be uh, involved with it. It actually goes back to 1980. You know, I've been a paddler and a river enthusiast uh, my whole life. And, you know, I always felt we needed an event uh, of some kind that celebrates our river heritage. So, way back in 1980, we came up with the idea of an event called BC Rivers Day. And we uh, got the, the provincial government to proclaim it. And we started off with just a single event a cleanup of the Thompson River. It's an event that was small scale by today's standards, but still, it was a wonderful outing. And it was so successful, we planned a few more events the next year and then a few more the year after that. And then it just took off to the point where we had a hundred events and you know tens of thousands of people. Well, in 2005, the United Nations uh, stated their intent to launch the water for life decade. Uh, that was a follow-up to their very successful international year of fresh water in 2003. Well, when I heard about the UN's intention in that regard, we approached them about establishing a World Rivers Day kind of event. We thought it would be a great complement to World Water Day, which occurs in March. This event would be river-related in focus. The fact that the BC event took place in September, it's the fourth Sunday in September, that's a really good time around the world because it's kind of a, an edge season everywhere right the thing about a global event if you have a global event in june as an example that's outdoor oriented environment oriented it might work on half the planet but the other half you know it it (laughs) wouldn't quite fit whereas you know an event like september it's it's either fall or spring you know in most places depending where you are in the world So the United Nations, we've got a very positive response to them. And uh, so 2005, we launched our very first World River's Day. And then it just took off. We started communicating with governments around the world, with NGOs around the world. And we got to a point where there are now literally more than 100 countries involved. There are thousands of events and literally millions of people. And World River's Day is now one of the biggest environmental events on the planet. Now, the objective of River's Day... You know, it's multifold, but certainly, uh, first and foremost, we try and create a, a greater awareness of the many values of our rivers and streams. And as we talked about earlier, they have immense values. We also try and create a greater awareness of the pressures and threats that confront rivers. And once again, we've already touched on some of those. And thirdly, and and equally as important, the event tries to engage people with local waterways. It tries to encourage people to learn more about them, to appreciate them, and perhaps become greater advocates for them uh, in the end.
0: Yeah, getting people out to their local area, even if it's just a small seep, is a necessary starting point.
1: You bet. And I think uh, the hope is that by getting involved in an event like Rivers Day, it will inspire people to get more involved with Rivers on a day-to-day basis, which I think is important.
0: Absolutely. You mentioned events, and there are some in-person and virtual events happening. What's happening in 2022 for World Rivers Day?
1: Oh, there'll be lots of events, you know, Ian, and uh, people can get regular updates if they go into worldriversday.com they can uh, go into the events tab and find out some of the things happening across Canada and elsewhere in the world. But, you know, there will be many different types of events, both physical and virtual. Uh, Some of the in-person events will include things like small-scale cleanups. And cleanups, either of really large-scale cleanups, We're also encouraging people on just a small-scale basis, whether with their families or immediate neighbors, to go out and as part of a walk on that day to incorporate a small-scale cleanup as part of their activities. Even that can be very, very positive. But things like cleanups, there'll be riverside walks taking place, there are paddling trips, there are riverside cycling trips, invasive plant removals, streamside plantings, community riverside celebrations. Also, I think in the end, there will be lots of school projects that will take place in the run up to Rivers Day. And those two are also considered Rivers Day events. But, you know, things like river related art projects or trivia or essays, the kinds of things we talked about before, my hope is we'll see lots of schools doing things along those lines. And And there'll be an array of digital events unfolding on the day or in the run up to the day, things like art seminars and photo contests, film screenings or live streaming events. So there'll be lots happening. And my hope is that people will either join an event or decide to start their own. And if they decide to do something on their own they can uh, let us know through the World Rivers Day site, once again at worldriversday.com. And on the day itself, there's lots of opportunities to post images from uh, activities that people are involved with around the world. Things like if you were to go into hashtag World Rivers Day, on that day, you'll see an incredible array of activities and photos and posts from people around the world. That's always neat to, to look at as well.
0: Well, we'll certainly share out and use that hashtag World Rivers Day.
1: That would be great. Well, this
0: has really been fun. Mark, thank you so much for telling us about World Rivers Day and also taking us a little, pardon the pun, deeper into the waters of the various (laughs) rivers and streams around the world.
1: Oh, well, Ian, it's great to talk with you, and congrats uh, on all that you do. Well,
0: Likewise.
2: Emerging from the water in a flourish of muted color is a kingfisher. You look closely to see if it has caught a fish and indeed it has, yet another indicator that this particular stream is a healthy one which hosts a rich assemblage of aquatic life. A brief smile crosses your face. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargasnesi. Ian is the show's writer and editor. Logo design is by Devin Terian. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to get instant access to each new episode. If you really like the show, give us a rating too. We can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us in this episode. We'll chat again soon.
1: Gishon Creek, in turn, flows into to Still Creek, and then Still Creek flows into Burnaby Lake, and then out of Burnaby Lake, the Brunette River, and then that flows into the Fraser River.
0: So, so this pieces so, connect.
1: Yeah, so the, uh, and Gishon Creek has resonant trout in it, but uh, the, the salmon we have in, in, in the creek, uh, those actually come out of the Fraser River.